Welcome to One Day You'll Thank Me, a podcast for smart parents. I'm Dr. Tara Egan. And I'm not a Dr. Anna. I'm a mom and a therapist. And I'm a high school student and a daughter. Each week, we'll discuss relevant parenting topics. And we'll interview some fantastic guest experts. And leave you with practical tips and information. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back, listeners. Thanks for being here, everyone. Yeah. Today is a more serious episode. Yeah, it was. We talked about a really serious topic, but we did have some lighthearted moments. Mm-hmm. Our guest was fantastic. She knows so much. Mm-hmm. She digs you because you guys are both <laughs> bakers. Mm-hmm. She was super nice. Yeah, super nice. Her name is Mandy Zucker, and she is a grief recovery specialist. She is a former school social worker. She's not actively working in that role right now. She's the founder of Inner Harbor, which is a supportive program for grieving students. And she's the host of a podcast called The Morning Meeting, and it's spelled M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. So not morning like AM, but morning like grieving. And it's a podcast created to support college students who've experienced loss. So she is like a huge advocate, especially for older teens and college students about how to handle the transition into college if you've been a person who's experienced loss. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of a bummer topic a little bit. It is. It definitely is. But it's a really important topic to know something about. And I think that when you're armed with knowledge about it, it does make it a little less grim. Yeah. I learned a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the thing is, We're all going to experience loss or we've all experienced some form of loss. Mm -hmm. Here we are sitting in what, month nine of COVID? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of loss associated with that. Definitely. So, well, thank you everyone for being here. Stay tuned for Mandy Zucker. Thank you, Mandy, for being with us today on our show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad to be here. I'm so glad. And I had the pleasure of being on your podcast, which is called The Morning Meeting. And we talked about the grief and the transition that occurs in college students when their parents go through a divorce. And it was such an interesting conversation. And I really encourage folks out there to check out The Morning Meeting podcast because it is a podcast that speaks to that experience of college students experiencing a loss and having to go to college and figure out how to manage the emotions and develop a new routine. So I enjoyed it. So thank you for having me. I actually got a review this morning from someone who wrote something about how he has a ton of friends who have parents that have been divorced, but he's never really given a thought about what that experience has been like for them. And he was really grateful for the episode to think about what that's been like for them. And he's hoping to start a conversation. So thank you. Oh, wow. That's great. Well, thanks. It's always nice to hear when people find it helpful. Sometimes we, we talk on this end and we're like, oh, are we making a difference? Is something resonating? It's nice to see the reviews. I do get emails or messages through Facebook of somebody commenting and giving, you know, some sort of detail about helpful information, but it's nice from our end to feel like. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Today, we're going to discuss a topic that we've not discussed on this podcast before, and we're going to talk about grief. And much of the time when people hear the word grief, they automatically assume that it's used in the context of the death of a loved one. 
But I know for you, you're, you're defining grief in a more comprehensive way. So can you tell us more about your understanding of the concept of grief? Sure. So grief is just the natural, normal reactions that we all have to a loss. And loss doesn't necessarily mean death. And actually, I'll even go further to say that it's not even necessarily the death of a loved one. Because some people that die were, we'll say, less than loved, right? Um, even people that we didn't love die, and we can still grieve that loss as well. So it's really anything that was meaningful to us. It could be a relationship. It can be an actual person. It could be a job, a home, tons of things. Anything that we experience as a loss brings up feelings, and those feelings are grief. I remember one time a, a woman telling me that becoming a parent was a huge loss, despite the fact that it was a planned pregnancy and she wanted a baby. But she said when the baby was born, she lost a whole bunch of things that she really felt like she was grieving over, like spontaneous date nights and girls nights out and her body and all sorts of things. And she said she really experienced a lot of grief, even though it was a really positive, you know, wonderful thing that was happening in her life. That's such a great example. Yeah. I mean, grief can also have, like, not necessarily all grief, but like she still had something positive come out of that, even though there were some negatives. Absolutely. And some people have a hard time finding the positive. That's true. If they experience grief. I have advanced grief for empty nest. Like my kids are going into high school and I don't say that. It's like, like, like Anna's looking at me like, come on, mom, don't make me feel bad about this. And it's like, I'm so excited to think of them going to college or having this post-life. And I'm also, like I've told the kids, like, I want to be friends with you when we're all adults. And so I do look forward to that part. So I think there's going to be so many positives. But then I think, oh, my baby's not going to be like down the hallway. I can't like paint her toenails when I want to spend time with her. I know. I also think that you're replacing animals with kids. I know. We just keep collecting. You are 100% right about that. Like, that is super insightful. Each kid that leaves, we just get an animal. There you go. Like, seriously. I mean, it's crazy. We have more animals than people in this house sometimes. That's mind-blowing. Wow. I have to tell you, my youngest is a senior in high school. So I'm with you on the empty nest thing. I remember when my oldest one, he's a sophomore, but when he left for college, I had a party and I called it the empty nest fest. And I invited everybody to come over and I said, and either celebrate or commiserate because I'm celebrating all the accomplishments and good things. And also just I'm miserable. I was so sad. Yeah, I had a really hard time when Anna went to kindergarten. And I'm not like a crier. I, I'm normally like, I think my kids get better with age. And so I'm, I'm, I mean, I look back fondly, but I'm like, oh, you're so much cooler now. You like, like better TV, <laughs> like you have better conversation. So I just always have been very forward thinking. But when she went to kindergarten, like that morning, you know, I dropped her off. I'm crying in the parking lot. I go to work and I tell my colleague who's like, I'm friendly with, but she's not like my friend friend. And I told her like, I just dropped off Anna at kindergarten and she was like, you know, what can I do? Do you want me to hug you? Or, and I was like, no, like I can't even handle your sympathy right now. And then this is tearing me up just thinking about it. So then Anna comes home from kindergarten and she goes, mama, 
today I was thinking about you and I was thinking I might never see you again. And my eyes were just leaking. <laughs> oh, my oh my God, you never have to go to kindergarten again. <laughs> that was a horrible experience and mommy's so sorry. <laughs> I remember that because I remember getting a bracelet with you on it. Oh like a picture God. of you on yeah, it. Yeah, I put a picture of Yeah, and I just was like, and obviously I didn't react that way. I wanted to. <laughs> and then I thought when, you know, my youngest, Dylan, when it was time for him to go to kindergarten, I was like anticipating having the same degree of drama. Yeah. But I don't know. It was much easier. And so I think I had more a, a more developed career at that point. And I don't know. I don't know what it was. If, if. I was just kind of ready to ha- be in the stage right. where my kids were in school, but it wasn't, it wasn't as bad but for her. I'm like, that was definitely one of the harder parenting moments, <laughs> but then you learn to love school. Anyway, back to our topic. Of yes. grief. <laughs> so, you know, you're looking at that broader sense of, of loss. I do think there's the aspect of like transition. Mm-hmm. Not only do you have like maybe the sorrow that comes from feeling like you lost something, but then you're readjusting to a life that has changed as a result of that loss. Absolutely. And not everybody loves change. No, (laughs) many people don't. Sometimes it can be really stressful. So there's that whole added stress of it too. Absolutely. Now, I know you have a particular interest in working with college students who are experiencing grief. Mm -hmm. So I'd love it if you could tell us more about what led you to work with this population? Hmm. I always say that the field of bereavement found me. I wanted to work with kids. That was always my goal. I went to college. My major was child development. And then I went to graduate school and I got a master's degree in social work. I didn't take a class on death and dying. I wanted to work with kids. And I thought, why would I take a class on death and dying? It didn't even occur to me that either children could die or that they would be affected by death. I mean, it sounds crazy to me now, but it didn't even occur to me. Oh, it didn't occur to me until right this moment either. So, okay. (laughs) good. (laughs) So we're not alone. And then, um, so I got my very first job out of graduate school at a hospital. I always said um, I sold nursing homes to people after they'd come in, maybe they'd have a stroke or something and they need to find a new place to live with a different level of care. So I did that for a year. And then I got what I thought was my dream job working in a school. And I thought that's what I wanted, because I wanted to work with kids. And that's where they are. And I was literally walking out of the door of the hospital. And someone said to me, why don't you stay on per diem? We have this children's bereavement program. It's like an eight week group for kids who've had somebody die. And I thought, oh, it's working with kids. And, you know, maybe it's a little extra money. So I took that job. And I literally never left the hospital. So even if I worked in schools or in other organizations, I never left. I continued to work in bereavement there, in hospice. It really, in a moment, just changed my career, my passion. So I worked in bereavement, mostly in hospice for many, many years. Continuing to work in schools, I thought that's what I wanted to do. But turns out I really didn't love it as much as I thought I would. And then the past eight years, I was working in a children's grief support center in a nonprofit running their programs. And then a little over a year ago, last August, when my oldest son left for college, he left for school. And a few days after he left, one of his own friends who also left for school ended up taking his own life. 
And this was a kid whose father had died when he was 14 years old. And it, it was so, I mean, it was horrible because this was just such a special young man. I loved him, but I thought we had done right by him. I say we, uh, meaning, you know, professionals in the field. I helped him and his family find a grief support center like the one I was running up by them. But it really hit me like a ton of bricks that we do a pretty good job of supporting kids when somebody dies and their families. And then they turn 18. And I don't know, it's like we wash our hands of them. We just think, okay, now you're an adult. And then we ship them off to college where there's, you know, their friends are gone, all of the things that they knew, the resources that were available to them there at home are no longer available. And even if there are some limited resources um, on a college campus, they don't even know what they are yet. So this boy, he didn't have a lot of time to figure it out. So he did what a lot of college kids do when they're struggling and don't know how to cope with their feelings. He drank. He did that for about four days before he took his own life. And I just decided at that moment that I'm going to make it my mission that that's not going to happen to anyone else. So I, in the past year or so, I've been networking and learning a lot about starting a business. I knew how to do the work, but I didn't know exactly how to start a business. So I've been doing all of that. And this past August, on the first anniversary of his death, I launched Inner Harbor. That's wonderful. It's such a sad story to think about the loss of such a young man and think how many kids out there have experienced something like that, whether it's you know, the death of a parent. We we talked the other day about the impact of divorce and the sense of loss that kids feel with that. Are grief and trauma related? They are related. It's a great question. Not always, right? There doesn't always have to be trauma with grief or grief with trauma. I would say that when a child experiences a loss of a significant person in their lives, it's a trauma, but it doesn't have to leave them traumatized right? They don't have to be traumatized for the rest of their lives if they get the right kinds of support. So death of a parent, of a sibling, it's definitely a trauma, but it doesn't have to, you know, ruin the rest of your life. In fact, most kids do okay after somebody dies, especially if they have a healthy functioning adult in their life. Yeah, that is a good question. And some of it can depend on how a person dies, like the circumstances surrounding it, you know, what people have kind of imprinted in their in their memory of it what the reaction of the other people are around them like in a child a lot of times they're looking for cues from the adults or the other people in their environment and how to respond to grief or how to respond to this event that might have been really unexpected my dad passed away a few years ago and he had a bout of cancer and he was ill for about a year so we knew we knew it was happening you know when it was time for him to die I know I had a lot of relief because he was in so much pain. And I talked to my oldest brother the other day, and, you know, now it's been several years. And we always mention my dad and he still like this, the, the tone of his voice. And he said, I still just can't believe this happened to us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's still just this perspective of like, it just feels so shocking. And, you know, my dad passed away when he was only 62 years old. He hadn't even had a chance to retire. And so that's not how you think it's going to be. You think of your parents passing away a really old age. And so when you mention the trauma aspect of it, there's some of these losses that occur that are so out of step 
with what's a natural thing. Like we know our dogs are going to die. Doesn't mean we don't hate every minute of it, but like it does make sense to us Mm -hmm. that this 16 year old dog is going to die. It doesn't make sense for a seven year old to have mom or dad be dead. Right. Like there's no order of life that that makes sense for. There's no way that you could say, well, you know, that was fair. They had a good long run because clearly they didn't. Right. So I think that can add to just that perspective of it being traumatic. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a good question, Anna. <laughs> Thanks. My next question for you is, as, as parents, you know, if you recognize that you have a child who's experiencing grief as a college student, mm-hmm. what signs should parents look for when trying to determine if the grief is impacting their mental health or their functioning as a college student? You know, it's a tricky question because sometimes there are signs and it's easy to sort of find them, right? Like they're drinking or using drugs or they're cutting or they're locking themselves in their room or they're not eating or sleeping all the time. But oftentimes it doesn't look like that. I did an interview recently on my podcast with the uncle of a young man who um, he ended up being murdered because he got himself involved in some pretty dangerous things after some significant losses. But no one knew he was involved in any of those things because he looked fine. He actually went to it was Harvard, double majored in like some sciences and got straight A's like he looked better than fine. And no one had any idea that he was really struggling. So what we really need to do is just ask. We need to let our friends know that we're available. I think sometimes people are afraid to bring up the name of someone that died because they think, oh, my friend seems fine. So why would I bring up the fact that their dad died? Because I'm going to make them sad. It doesn't make them sad. If any of you, your listeners, have ever had somebody die that person's on our mind. And when somebody brings them up, it doesn't like, oh, my God, I forgot the person died, you know? Yeah, thanks for being such a bummer by bringing it up. Exactly. Right. It doesn't, it actually typically makes people feel more validated and, you know, it normalizes that whole conversation. So reminding them that it's okay to talk about it might allow them to share that they are struggling because everybody doesn't look like they're struggling. Many people look like they're doing just fine. So I think it's just important to remember to to make yourself available, to let them know that you're a person that they can share really difficult things with. I think, too, is when you're a person who's experiencing grief or loss, you can have those up and downs. Like mm-hmm. You can have the days where you really, truly are fine. Yeah. The grief part of it might not be on your mind. You might have really positive distractions or you're just having nice remembrances of the person. And then there's other days that can feel really, really hard and it can feel really, really fresh. Mm -hmm. And so I think that sometimes people put people in a category of like, they're doing fine or they're not doing fine and they don't recognize they can waver back and forth. Absolutely. When someone is brave enough and courageous enough to say those things, like I am having an okay day and I'm, I don't know if that's even okay that I'm having an okay day. You know, to be available to have that conversation and to thank the person for sharing that with you and letting them know that I'm so glad you told that to me. And we can we can talk about that when you're having a good day or a bad day is a really good reminder for that person. And it's, it builds connection, which is often what's lacking when somebody's grieving. You feel so alone and isolated, especially if you're with people who didn't know the person. Mm-hmm. I married my husband 
just a couple months before my dad passed away. And I was lucky enough that they got to meet and spend some time together. You know, he was at our wedding. We pushed our wedding up. And I'm so grateful that my husband knew my dad. Like he obviously didn't know him to the same degree that my kids knew him or my first husband knew him or my best friend knew him. Mm -hmm. But just knowing that my husband shook his hand, sat with him, told him a little bit about himself, like Mm -hmm. that my dad saw us get married. Like that's very comforting to me that my dad isn't just this, this unknown person. Whereas my husband, his dad passed away many years before we met. And he talks about his dad often. He's very aware of, I can't think of it, like important dates, Mm -hmm. like his birthday or the date of his death. Those are strong moments of remembrance for him. And that's something that I never, I never heard him speak. I never saw how he was with my husband. And so like, there's just a piece of my husband that I just can't know in the same way that I know the details of other people in my life. And so I'm kind of bummed for my husband that he was never able to share me with his dad or his dad with me. Yeah. I, you know, I have a very similar uh, situation with my husband. My husband's father died when he was nine. So I never met him. My father died. It'll be 18 years, but I, my husband knew him very, very well. So, um, I love that, you know, I could talk about my dad and my husband knows who I'm talking about and, and he talks about him and, you know, misses him just as much as I do. And I always feel like his dad is like, um, you know, more abstract to me and to my kids. Yeah, that makes sense. Welcome to Moe's. Make any night taco night with a build your own taco kit from Moe's. Each kit comes with your choice of two proteins, tortillas, rice, beans, plenty of toppings, and as always, chips and salsa are free. You can feed the whole family for only $34.99. Order online or through Moe's app for curbside, pickup, or delivery. Make family dinner fun with Moe's Southwest Grill. Seriously, hon, bring home a taco kit tonight. Yep, I'm on it. you're a parent, and even though you might not always be able to see the symptoms, is there things that parents can do to support our kids, even if we're long distance, like our kids are away at college? Do you have any advice for those parents? Yeah, in fact, I feel like it's, it could potentially be an opportunity. You know, if you think about, I've heard this expression before so many times where people say that they can't wait for their kids to go away to college because they're driving them crazy their senior year. And um, and sometimes they say it's easier to let them go when you're mad at them, right? Yeah, I've heard that. And when they get to college, all of that stuff goes away. You're not yelling at them to clean their rooms and take the trash out and, you know, lower the music. So all of those kinds of issues that we might be dealing with with our kids in high school kind of disappear. And it really can provide an opportunity to create a more meaningful connection with your children. So you might be able to check in with them. And, you know, you might have had a kid in high school who would never talk to their mom, right? Um, But now that, first of all, you're not face to face. So if you're on the phone, or you're texting, bring up the topic with them, bring it up, say, you know, I know today's the two year anniversary since daddy died. Um, You know, I've been thinking about him a lot. I'm wondering how you're doing. You know, you have some opportunities because they are away 
that you might be able to take advantage of. I love to use the phrase, I wonder. I always feel like if you ask direct questions, how are you doing today? That's it's a little, um, I'll say aggressive. When you ask a question, kids feel like they have to answer you. They might not know. So I like to say I wonder because I I feel like it's more of an invitation. So you're opening the door and they can choose if they're going to walk through that door or not. But you could just say, I wonder what it's been like for you. They might not respond. That's okay. But they might say, you know, actually, I'd like to tell you what it's been like for me. I love that. I think that's solid advice in almost any parenting moment. And kids like to tell you what they think a lot of times, you know, if they, if you put them in a position where they can be knowledgeable about something, even if it's themselves, like that sets the stage sometimes for some good conversation. Absolutely. Your comment about how, when you have that distance from your college student and you're not doing the day-to-day parenting and how that can open up opportunities for different types of parenting. A question I have is if you have a friend or a loved one in your life and they experienced a loss, And you know that during that person's life, they caused a lot of pain or disruption or just unhealthy Mm -hmm. patterns. And that person is now sort of idealizing the person now that they're gone. I've always wondered what you're supposed to do. Like, are you (laughs) supposed to be like, oh my gosh, you're right. They're a hero. And every day that they're gone is a worse day in our world. Are you supposed to kind of be like, you know, that I remember that being really tough on you and being able to keep them more based in reality. Like, yeah. do you have any thoughts on that? I have some thoughts. I think certainly as a friend, you have a different role. If this was a therapist, maybe I would say something different. But if you have a friend who is going through something, you know, their their parent died and their parent was not a great parent for whatever reasons. My suggestion is that you walk along their path. It is not your job as their friend to fix anything. You don't need to help them come to some major realization, some aha moments. They'll get there on their own, right? That idolizing of people that have died is very common. It it happens for about three and a half weeks. And then it doesn't happen like that, but it happens. And our job really as friends is to just witness where they're at. So, wow, so you're remembering some of the really good memories you had with your dad. That's your role as a friend. You let them know that you're available to hear whatever it is that they want to say. If you do that and they really feel like you're safe, they may then start to feel like I can explore some of the less than pleasant memories with you as well. But they have to first know that they can trust you. It's very vulnerable when somebody dies. So you really need to feel safe to be able to talk about some of those other less than pleasant experiences. So my suggestion to friends is to just just to witness, to be there with them wherever they're going And then when they're ready to talk about some of the more difficult things, they will do that. That's really great advice because you're right. There is a very different role when it comes to being a friend versus a therapist or even a parent. Mm -hmm. And person is gone now. There's room to wait as long as that person needs to confront maybe the things that were really tough. And we might know, like we might have known that parent that died and might be thinking like, that's not true. 
And we want to just tell our friends that because it'll help them in the end. And sometimes we think we know what's right for them, but we can't really push them to get to where we want, right? We always have goals and we know where we want our friends and our family members to get to this enlightened moment, say, but they get to do that on their own time. And, you know, a friend just gets to walk with them on that journey. Okay. That really makes sense. Now kind of shifting it from talking about the nature of grief and how parents can support their kids. Like what are some strategies or coping skills that you encourage college students to develop in order to manage their grief and continue to benefit from the college experience? You know, some of them are obvious. There's some really good coping tools. I'm a huge proponent of therapy, but I'll say, you know, when my son's friend died, I told him to call the counseling center. It had been, you know, just a couple of days that he he was a freshman in college. He didn't have even one friend yet. And I was like, you need to talk to someone, call the counseling center. He called the counseling center on day four of college and there was a three week waiting list. So he didn't end up making an appointment and he never went. Mm. So as much as I am a proponent of therapy, it's not always available. So you have to think about some of the other things that are available. I try to tell students a few things. Most of them have probably coped well with other things in their life already because they're in college. So they've they've successfully managed elementary, middle and high school, which has a whole host of stressors and losses that they've already been through. So they know some of the tools that have worked for them already and they should rely on those tools. So if they like to write in a journal, go buy yourself a pretty notebook. If you like to exercise. This is probably not the time to give that up, right? Rely on some of the tools that you've already used. However, this is a different kind of stress. This is a whole other level of stress that you may never have experienced before and you may need some different tools, right? So if you weren't a journaler before, maybe that's something that you should try. You might need to add a few things into your sort of repertoire, you know, your little toolbox of coping skills. Maybe now is the time to stretch a little and join a support group. It might not have been something that you ever thought you'd be comfortable doing. Try it. This is this is different. So you may need to rely on different things. There's tons of opportunities at colleges. You know, there's clubs like the photography club, you wouldn't think that the photography club has anything to do with grief. But if you try something new, you may find that taking pictures of beautiful things is healing for you. Or maybe you're going to take pictures of things that remind you of the person that died. And that might be part of your healing journey, too. So rely on the things that have worked. And then stretch a little bit and think about some of the things that, you know, maybe you can add into your repertoire because grief is a whole other level of stress and loss. Well, and I think of a college student that I worked with once who really found meditation to be very helpful. They would kind of set aside some time to think about their loved one, and then they would do kind of a traditional meditation, like audio version, you know, that they worked their body through. And so they kind of had some space to just like have that grieving time, but then they sort of used the meditation to take them out of that space and be able to transition to like whatever was going to go next in their day or go to sleep or whatever. I also know that kids, I think, could really benefit from being educated on what are actually strategies to stay away from, you know, things like 
looking at a lot of pornography on the computer, yeah, using substances, maybe spending time with people who don't treat you well or where you don't respect your boundaries with your bodies. Like things like that, I think sometimes when I've worked with clients where I'm like, all right, let's let's talk about some great things you can do, but let's also talk about some things that we know would be destructive for you. So when you're in that moment and you're not sure what to go toward, you at least know what to go away from too. Mm -hmm. I was thinking just as you're talking too that living through this pandemic, this is a new kind of grief that none of us have experienced before. So I've been doing some of that. I've been trying to rely on some of the strategies that have worked for me. I've been trying to think like, what else can I add? Um, You know, I need to make sure that I get outside every day. That's been very helpful for me. The other night, I was really feeling just very sad and disconnected from friends. And I love to bake. I think actually your daughter and I made the same pumpkin. What did we make? Oh, those whoopie pies. I saw you posted (gasps) that on Instagram. I literally think I made them the same day. I think we got the same recipe on Pinterest. But anyway, so I was baking that night. I was making um, apple pumpkin butter. And I bought these little like jelly jars. And I literally delivered them, hand delivered them to all of my friends, like maybe 30 different jars. I didn't talk to anybody because I'm trying to stay distant from them. But I literally just dropped a jar on everybody's doorstep. And I took like, probably like 30 seconds at each doorstep. And I just stared at their door. And I like wished them good thoughts. And I thought like, this is just a different level of stress. And I have to do something different than what I'm doing, you know, just the typical exercise and baking and trying to sleep well, I need more than that right now. So delivering something to my friends, saying a little like prayer for them um, at their doorsteps, that was really, you know, helpful for me. So it was something new I had to add into my repertoire. I love that. And I also love the aspect of there was like an act of service to it. Mm hmm. You know, even though you benefited from the process of baking or picking out the recipe and putting them in the little jars and you know what I mean? There's, there, I can, I think with some of those tasks, there is a meditative aspect to it, For Sure. but the fact that you knew these people were going to open up their door and see this little gift from you and think of you and of course think warm thoughts. I mean, that's really powerful too. And I think that could be a strategy that college students do beyond just getting involved in things they're interested in, but there could be a service component that they may even do in honor of the, of the person they lost. I think that could be, hmm. yeah, this is really helpful. Yeah. I'm learning yeah. so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hope I don't have any losses coming up. I hope not. <laughs> yeah. I was nervous when the dog went to the vet. Oh, really? Yeah. Cause we got this, this, um, rescue and we've had her for like over a month and we all really like her and we had to take her for her initial shots and I was like what if she gets there and she has like a brain tumor and we just didn't know and I was preparing myself for grief but she's completely fine she just needs manners, <laughs> just manners. <laughs> hello Dr. Egan here one of the primary ways that I support kids and families as a parent coach is to work with blended families I've learned that one of the most challenging roles in a blended family is that of stepmother. Stepmothers often feel undervalued, without authority, or disconnected from their stepchildren or partner. In early 2021, I'm launching a group called The Empowered Stepmother. It's a group comprised of eight weekly sessions, each 90 minutes long, 
created to provide psychoeducation, support, and connection for stepmoms who are trying to find their place in a new family unit. Our empowered stepmothers will learn practical strategies to better define their role in their family, deal with stepchildren who may not appreciate them, and feel more equipped to handle the ups and downs of step-parenting. If you're interested in becoming an empowered stepmother, please visit www.drtaraegan.com and schedule a discovery call. Our plan is to keep our group small and connected, so reserve your spot now. So I know in this in this process of you founding Inner Harbor, and I'd like you to tell us more about that, but mm-hmm. I know one of your goals is to disseminate information to everyone on college campuses, not just mental health professionals, right. about how people can support college students through grief. Yeah. And if students are struggling with like suicidal thoughts, loneliness, disconnection, what resources have you found to be most helpful for college students when they're really struggling, like in the moment, when they're in that moment, almost of crisis? So this is such a difficult and like kind of tricky question, because most people at some point in their lives have a suicidal thought. That does not mean that they need to be hospitalized for it. Although if you're on the receiving end of that suicidal thought, if they're telling you that, that's a really scary and sometimes very heavy responsibility. Oftentimes, sharing those feelings can diffuse the intensity of them. So I'm not suggesting just like somebody tells you I'm feeling suicidal, and then you say, okay, great, well, thanks for sharing. And now hopefully you're feeling better. (laughs) Obviously, if somebody comes to you and tells you that they have a plan to take their own life, you need to you need to act, but you don't necessarily have to drag them to your car and get them to the emergency room immediately. Oftentimes, what they need is somebody to talk to, just validate their feelings, listen to them, tell them how scary it must be for them to be having, you know, these thoughts and and thank them for telling you and feeling comfortable enough to talk to you about it. And then you want to offer some support and resources. So don't jump to the support and resources because you really want to allow them to to share, to, to talk about this horrible, very dark place that they're in. There are resources available. There's a crisis line. There's, you know, 911 if you really needed it. Um, most of the time you don't. But maybe you're going to offer after all of that, like, why don't we take a walk down to the counseling center? I can walk with you, make sure that you get an appointment. Maybe they already have a therapist and, you know, you can sit with them as they make a call to call them. Crisis lines are fabulous. They've got plenty of people that are trained that you can call um, as the non-suicidal person, or you can call with the suicidal person. There's tons of them, um, national suicide prevention hotlines. There's staff 24-7. So there, there's places that are available. You can ask them, like, has this ever happened to you before? What have you done in the past that's been helpful? Can I help you make sure that that, that you have access to that resource, whatever it was? My sister's the one that's always able to calm me down or whatever it is. Um, so let's call your sister then. But first, remind yourself that this is not highly unusual. Most people have had some kind of, I wish I wasn't here right now, thought in their lives. And most of us are still here. So oftentimes we just need to diffuse that initial crisis 
and then make sure that they have ongoing support. Clearly something's going on in their lives that's causing them to, to feel so desperate. Now, Anna, have you ever been in a situation where you felt like one of your friends was in crisis and you were the person who they came to? Um, I mean, I've, I've had friends who have been struggling with things or family problems or just overwhelmed with school or just some kind of issue that they need to talk about. And mm-hmm. They've come to me about that, but I've never had, like, someone who was actually, like, I think I'm going to, like, take my own life. I did have a friend who went to one of our other friends about it and, like, was lucky enough to, like, call one of her friend's sister and her parents and just let them know, just be like, I just want you to be with your daughter and your sister and just be able to be with them because I know she's struggling right now. And so I think that was really important. And I was glad that I like learned about that because I don't know what I would have done if someone would have done that to me. I think I would have kind of like freaked out and then kind of had to like come up with a conclusion fast. Well, you do have a mother. I probably would have gone too, obviously. Yeah, I but so. And I think that can be really tough for kids and that they get put into a situation that's really developmentally inappropriate for them where it's not appropriate for an 11-year-old or a 14-year-old to have to manage somebody else's suicidal ideation. No. Whereas a person who's 21, they're an adult, you know, they are familiar with, like, resources. You, They know there's mm-hmm. a college counseling center. They know another person who's gone through something. They know how to Google stuff and figure out, like, what do I do in this situation? That is a different scenario. And so I, when I work with kids and they say those t- sorts of things, they can get feeling really responsible for the well-being of another person. They're like, well, if I don't pick up the phone when my friend Sarah calls, maybe she's going to hurt herself and somehow I'm right. going to be responsible. And I'm like, whoa, this is not. That's a lot. What I would also just say, we always need to take comments about suicide seriously. So when anyone says stuff like, oh, I'm going to kill myself if I don't get a good grade or my boyfriend broke up with me, I'm going to kill myself. We often don't take those things seriously. I wish that we could change the way that we speak about that because it's it's not a joke. And I wish people would only say those things when they really meant it. So we knew like, oh, they're serious, right? One of the things I think we can do for friends to be a good friend from now on is when somebody says that just say hold on a minute like are you serious I want to just check in with you you just said something that really scared me and what that does is lets them know that you that you're willing to have that conversation so even if they were joking at that moment two years from now or six months from now or hopefully never from now if that ever does happen to them and they really do feel like it they may remember that you were the person that was willing to go there with them. So they can call you and then you will get them the help that they need. Yeah, I agree with you about how we speak about phrases like that in such a casual way. And you may not have listened to a recent episode, but I revealed that I have a complete fascination with the Kardashians. And so I watched their show and they always say things like, oh my God, I would die. Mm -hmm. Like literally die. Or they'd be like, I would rather die than do that. And as much as they're entertaining, the therapist in me can't help but think like, oh, I just wish you wouldn't say it like that because you're a role model for all of these other people. And like they in real life have access to all these resources and they have this close knit family and wealth and all this stuff to like give them some protective factors. And I think like that casually worded conversation like that 
Imagine saying that to someone, meaning it. Yep. And they dismissed it because they thought it was a joke. Right. Yeah, we've we've made that conversation just too casual. And when someone talks about wanting to end their lives, it shouldn't be a casual conversation. Our the hairs on the back of our neck should stand up and we should be we should be investigating what that really is about. But we all say it, you know, all like take me off the ledge, um that I wish that we were able to um let people know that that's really serious because sometimes people will say those kinds of things to sort of test, you know, where are you? Are you willing to have that conversation or not? And if we don't realize that they're being serious, we could miss something. Well, this is taking a dark turn talking about suicide. I know. <laughs> yeah. It is a really important topic to discuss, and we would be remiss not to bring it up because that feeling of sorrow or isolation or loneliness, and, you know, you think about college students and they go away to college and they meet the, some new friends, and all these other friends, you know, have a parent who didn't die. And I remember I had a really close friend of mine whose parent died. I'm almost sure it was our, I can't remember. It was one of our years of college and, you know, went to the the gathering after. And, and I remember, you know, like several years later having a conversation, you know, talking to her about, you know, my own mother who was very mentally ill and there was moments that she could be very cruel and me being like, oh my goodness, like, does this feel disrespectful to you that I'm talking about my mother in a frustrated way when you don't have your mom here? Mm-hmm. And she was like, no, this is a completely different scenario. I can recognize that my experience with my mother was completely different than your experience. And I don't look at you as being like dismissive or disregarding of my loss. And so I was grateful because, you know, she was a great support system. And, but I was just kind of had that moment of like being horrified that I could have been oblivious to her pain. But you know what you did that was so great? You asked her, like, what is it like for you, for me to be talking about my mom in not such a positive way when your mom's not here anymore? That opens the door for the griever to be able to share what her experience is like. If you just had that conversation and didn't ask, then she might feel like, oh, did she, you know, she was being a little insensitive or, or maybe she wouldn't have, maybe she didn't feel that way. But, but bringing it up lets them know that they could talk about it. That's exactly what, you know, that's what we want because people feel like, can I keep talking about my dead mom? Like, are people going to feel like I'm burdening them or are they going to not want to hang out with me anymore? But if you bring it up in such a sweet and, you know, very um, non-threatening way, it lets her know that this is an okay thing to talk about. I have a client who lost her mother a few years ago, and she's just a young client. She's a middle schooler. And I asked her, I said, you know, do you, do you talk about your mom? Do you feel comfortable bringing her up to her friends? And she said, no, like nobody knows what to say. Like, it's such a sad thing. And then people always think, well, what if it was my mom that died? What if it was my mom that had gotten sick? And so therapy was really beneficial for her because she did have an outlet. And she also could talk to her dad and her brother and her. She had a stepmom at this point, and her stepmom was super supportive and very honoring of the memories of her mother. You know, she clearly had cultivated a dialogue that was, like, very respectful and as inclusive Mm -hmm. as possible. But being such a, a young person, 
And most of her peers, of course, hadn't experienced a loss, especially like that, of a parent. I mean, that's that's terrible. Um, She just didn't feel like they would be able to relate to her. And I think she had moments that were really lonely. Yeah. When, you know, everybody else's mom came to watch them at this thing or that thing. And even though she had a super supportive dad and stepmom, it just, you know, there was times it just didn't feel. Of course. Yeah. I had, I remember there was this new girl at, my school in I think it was ninth grade, maybe eighth grade, and the thing that she'd share the most was that her sister had killed herself, and she like everybody was like we feel bad for her, but she brings it up in every single conversation that it's hard to get through something without like having to like feel bad for her or talk about what she's feeling. Like they're like we feel like we always want to be there for her, mm-hmm. but it's just so repetitive and like we don't know what to do. It didn't feel like being supportive was helping yeah there, there didn't seem relief yeah exactly and so like i i wasn't really close with her but i had friends who were and they were just like all she wants to do is talk about her sister who killed herself yeah that helpless feeling right? yeah like you can't make the situation better we just have to sit in this moment but here we are young people who want to be you know playing volleyball at the volleyball game or gossiping about the cute boys at the lunch table next next to us like, that's an example of sometimes where there can be, like, a developmental mismatch. Mm-hmm. Where her audience wasn't developmentally able to process what she was saying and respond appropriately. And it's like, I think that's such a, a sign that kids might need a different outlet. I was just thinking that, that, you know, it's unfortunate, but, you know, there's a lot put on people who are grieving. And part of what they have to do as the griever is find the spaces and places that they can get the right kinds of support. So you're not going to get it everywhere. You know, you can't, you can't expect every single person to be the one that you can talk to all the time. So part of what you have to do is kind of figure out who is available to me, who is able to handle all of this information. And, and perhaps that girl was still trying to figure it out. Yeah, that's a tough situation for both yeah. sides. I think. Yeah. Well, I'm so mindful of our time together, Mandy, and I found this to be super helpful and informative. And hopefully parents out there who are listening are are in a position where they're not grieving someone or, or feeling as though their child is, is suffering from grief. But I, I think it's a place that we all get into at some time or another, whether it's, you know, the death of a loved one or an unloved one or... Or there's just another loss, like like divorce. You know, you and I, Anna, have talked about, you know, you as a, a child of divorced parents, like there's aspects of grief to that. Mm-hmm. You know, me, I've lost both my parents. I do worry about something happening to the pets, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. there's all these things out there that touch us in, in our life. And so I think there's a lot of the, this conversation could be relatable to our listeners. Absolutely. I really feel like, Every single one of us right now is grieving something with COVID. It's a loss of stability, of relationships, of, you know, lots of people have lost jobs or loved ones or less than loved ones, lost routines, and everybody's lost something. So um, we're all grieving in some way. I've lost the size pants that were smaller than the size <laughs> I'm wearing. Yeah. Uh-huh. May they rest I've in peace. lost those too. I wouldn't actually know because I don't wear pants with buttons on them anymore. (laughs) Yeah, neither do I. But you're absolutely right. I mean, there is what feels like a loss of choice 
I think right now, as far as to choose where we can go and how we spend our money yeah. and financial insecurity. And just like for, I know for me as a sports mom, like going to my kids games, like that's such, it was such a time consuming, positive part of our week. And then now I'm like, all right, I'm going to watch you play basketball in our driveway for 10 minutes. I know, you know? alone. Exactly. <laughs> uh-huh. So, well, any, any final thoughts you want to share? Um, you know, I would just say that as a parent myself, it's really hard to watch our children of any age when they're in pain. And if I could take the pain away from them, I, I wouldn't be meeting with you today. All we can really do is, is witness that pain and trying to fix it typically will drive them away. If we can just let them feel the pain, it's probably one of the greatest gifts that we can provide. We don't have to be a therapist or mental health provider to do it. You're right. I would validate all that hard work that the parents out there are doing. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Well, thank you, Mandy, for being part of our show today. Now, if people have questions or they want to learn more about your Inner Harbor program, like, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, real quick, the Inner Harbor has a couple of different sort of prongs to it. One of the biggest things that I do is a lot of workshops. So I I focus mostly on high school and college age students. I do workshops for teachers, for students themselves, for parents at universities. I do a lot of workshops um, with student organizations, with Greek life, resident assistants, teaching people how to be a support to people who are grieving all sorts of losses. Um, so that's a lot of what I do. I also have a podcast called The Morning Meeting, which we've talked about. And I also do some consulting with schools, with districts, with universities around things like bereavement policies and homework and those kinds of things. How do you manage the expectations of somebody who's grieving? So there's a whole bunch of different stuff that I do. You can find us at www.inner-harbor.org. And I list a whole bunch of services on there. So and resources and blogs and stuff. So now does your morning meeting podcast come out weekly? It does. It comes out every Tuesday. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being part of our show today. I really appreciate you. I appreciate the work you're doing and the fact that you took your time to come and speak to our listeners. Mm, Terrific. And, um, We'll have all your information in the show notes. Nice meeting you. So nice to meet you too, Anna. Thank you for all of your very well-thought questions. Bye, Mandy. Thank you, everyone, for being part of today's episode with Mandy Zucker. Yeah, I think it was a great episode. And make sure to tune in every Wednesday for our new up-and-coming episodes and to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's right. We love to hear from you. And if you have any follow-up questions or any ideas about future episodes, please visit www.drtaraegan.com and leave us a message. Please visit us on Facebook and Instagram. And also consider joining us for our weekly parenting seminar. It's hosted by me every Monday at noon Eastern Standard Time, and each week we talk about a different topic related to parenting. We've had some great topics so far, and so many of you have submitted requests for topics that you'd like to learn more about. So check that out. Thanks everyone for being here. Love you, Mom. Love you too, sweetie. Hey, listeners. I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about a private Facebook group that I just created. 
It's called Adolescence, a Parent's Guide, a support group for high school parents. Parents or caregivers of high schoolers or soon-to-be high schoolers are encouraged to join. We'll be sharing educational resources, supporting each other as we survive the roller coaster of parenting a high schooler, and offering a shoulder to cry on when it all gets too stressful. Search for us on Facebook to listen, learn, and join the discussion.